1: Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WPT Industry Rights 4th Quarter 2020 in conference call. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that during this conference call, management may make statements containing forward-looking statements. This forward-looking information is based on a number of assumptions and is subject to a number of known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those disclosed or implied. We direct you to the company's earnings release, MD&A, and other security filings for additional information about these assumptions, risks, and uncertainties. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Scott Fredrickson, Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, Mr. Fredrickson.
2: Thanks, Anita. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on today's call. With me today are Matt Semino, our COO, and John Gillis, our CFO. Despite the many unforeseen hurdles experienced globally in 2020, the pandemic provided a remarkable opportunity for WPT to showcase the depth and experience of our team and the strength of our portfolio. In the depths of the pandemic, we closed on a $730 million U.S. logistics portfolio, one of the largest U.S. industrial transactions during 2020. This transaction increased the size of our portfolio by approximately 40%, increased our exposure to key distribution markets, significantly increased our scale and diversification, and boosted our tenant credit profile, all while underscoring the ability of our team to source off-market deals at attractive pricing. Our private capital platform ramped up significantly with the addition of a new global institutional partner, allowing us to expand and accelerate our development pipeline, which at quarter-end exceeded 6 million square feet. We also added a Canadian dollar listing, providing our investors with additional optionality and flexibility and were successfully added to several TSX indexes. Before we close the year, we published our first ever ESG report. In 2021, we will continue to grow and integrate ESG into our daily operations with the implementation of our three-year ESG strategic roadmap. Throughout 2020, run collection exceeded 99%, demonstrating the strength of WPD's institutional quality industrial portfolio. U.S. industrial fundamentals remain favorable with increased e-commerce penetration, rising inventories, and measured new supply. The distribution of logistics sector remains fragmented with few experienced operators relative to other asset classes. Looking back on our 2020 achievements and with strong sector fundamentals ahead, I'm extremely optimistic about what our team can accomplish in 2021. With that, I'll now turn things over to Matt to discuss our operational and investment results and activities. Thanks, Scott, and good morning, everyone. Um, as, as you probably noted from our press release, it was a busy quarter, so uh, our prepared remarks are a bit longer than usual, so we'll try to get through things as, as quickly as we can. Um, the read into the year with occupancy of 98.2% and a portfolio-weighted average remaining lease term of 4.4 years. We've collected over 99% of contractual rents for January, February, and March, which remains consistent with our 2020 collection rates. Turning to leasing activity, the REIT had approximately 18,000 square feet of new leases and 412,000 square feet of lease renewals commenced in the fourth quarter. Lease renewals commencing in the quarter had weighted average cash and straight-line rent releasing spreads of 5% and 6.7% respectively. We also signed approximately 52,000 square feet of new leases and 500,000 square feet of lease renewals in the fourth quarter, with weighted average cash and straight-line rent releasing spreads of 1.4% and 13%. The renewed or released 3.5 million square feet commencing in the year at weighted average cash and straight-line rent releasing spreads of 9.4% and 14.7%. We signed 2.3 million square feet of lease renewals in the year, with weighted average cash and straight-line rent releasing spreads of 8.5% and 16.5%. Subsequent to quarter-end, we renewed or released approximately 155,000 square feet at weighted average cash and straight-line rent releasing spreads of 14.7% and 25.8%. At year-end, we had approximately 2 million square feet, or 6.5% of the portfolio's GLA set to expire in 2021. To date, we've reduced the remaining expirations in 2021 to 1.9 million square feet, or 6% of the portfolio's GLA. Turning to our development pipeline, we have 12 projects at various stages, totaling approximately 6.3 million square feet in the Los Angeles, Phoenix, Chicago, Minneapolis, Houston, Nashville, Seattle, New York, and New Jersey markets. During the quarter, the WPT team completed the following notable transactions. We closed on two adjacent land parcels located in the Phoenix market through a private capital joint venture. The combined site can accommodate approximately 2.2 million square feet of development. We also completed the off-market acquisition of a 9.24 acre industrial parcel located in the Inland Empire market of Southern California. WPT intends to develop an approximately 200,000 square foot modern distribution building on the site which is expected to remain on balance sheet during the development phase. On the end of the year, we also completed the following transactions. On January 28th, we acquired two distribution buildings located in Bayonne, New Jersey. These properties total approximately 349,000 square feet and are 100% leased to two public company tenants with a weighted average remaining lease term of approximately 8.5 years. These properties were originally developed by the REIT through a private capital joint venture with the REIT owning an initial 10% interest. Through the exercise of the REIT's right-of-first opportunity to acquire additional JV interest in these projects, the REIT acquired the remaining 90% equity interest on an off-market basis for approximately $61.4 million, representing a going-in capitalization rate of approximately 4%. On February 25th, we completed an off-market acquisition of a 14.4-acre infill industrial parcel located in Carson, California, which is near the port of Long Beach, for approximately $30 million. The REIT is in the process of contributing this project into a private capital joint venture managed by the REIT, with the REIT retaining a 51% ownership interest. We anticipate developing approximately 250,000 square feet of distribution space on this site. With that I'll now turn things over to Judd to provide a discussion on our financial results.
3: Thank you, Matt, and good morning, everyone. Total investment properties revenue for the quarter and year increased 42.3% and 46.2% over last year, primarily due to the to 2020 acquisitions, with additional contributions from increases in base rent. Greed also earned management fees of approximately 1.8 million and 3.1 million in the quarter and for the year, respectively as we saw gross promote fees of 1.3 million in the quarter. We are increasing our 2021 private capital fee guidance to a range of 10 to $14 million, including the promote fee earned in connection with the sale of the Bayonne properties Matt mentioned earlier and increased clarity on deployment timelines. Same properties NOI growth was up 3.1% and 2.1% for the quarter and year, driven mainly by favorable releasing spreads and contractual rent increases, while impacted by a 0.6% and 2.1% reduction in same property occupancy. GNA expenses for the quarter and year, excluding any fair value adjustments or promote expense, was approximately $3.2 million and $12.5 million. FFO for the, year was up, FFO for the quarter and year was up 56.3% and 46.1%. FFO per unit for the quarter and year was 25.3% cents and 89.5 cents. This represented an increase of 17.6% and 4.9% compared to the same periods in 2019. AFFO for the quarter and year was up 67.1% and 50.1%. AFFO was 21.2 cents per unit for the quarter and 70.5 cents per unit for 2020. Both FFO and AFFO were positively impacted by creative acquisitions and in increases in fee revenue for the quarter, and increases in base rent. Offsetting these increases were lower management fees in the year, attributable to a variation in promote income, a reduction in occupancy, and the increased weighted average number of units outstanding as a result of the equity offerings in 2019 and 2020. At year end, our balance sheet and liquidity position remains strong, with cash on hand of $13 million dollars, and remaining availability on the credit facility of approximately $159 million. Reported leverage on our balance sheet, net of cash on hand was 47%, with a weighted with a debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio of 9.3 times. Our short-term refinancing risk has essentially been eliminated through their prepayments of multiple mortgages throughout 2020, including a $6.3 million mortgage prepaid in the fourth quarter. We do not have any additional maturities for the balance of 2021 and in 2022 we only have one24.3 million dollar mortgage maturing. With our de- development activity ramping up through both our private capital platform and on balance sheet, we remain focused on capital recycling initiatives to further strengthen our balance sheet and create additional flexibility to allocate capital to accretive investment opportunities. The REIT expects to generate additional liquidity of approximately 82 million dollars following the completion of in-process capital recycling transactions. With that, I'll now turn things back to Scott to wrap up. Thanks, Judge. As I said at
2: the top of the call, despite the global uncertainty, 2020 was a great year for the REIT, and we're excited about what we can accomplish in 2021. Thanks for your time and attention. We'd now be pleased to answer any questions you may have.
1: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then 1 on your touchstone phone. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw from the question 2, please press star, then 2. The first question today comes from Lorene Kalmar with TD Securities. Please go
0: ahead. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger less than five miles away or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
4: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, on the uh, On the capital recycling, so you guys have about 82 million. Uh, under uh or in progress i was just wondering what the timing was on that um and and maybe the cap rates and and if you guys expect to do any more throughout the balance of the year
2: yeah um pretty early to talk about cap rates and which assets but it's going to be a combination of asset sales and um joint venture contributions and our expectation is that's going to occur sooner in the year rather than later in the year i'd say that um by the time we're on this call for our Q1 results will have more specificity for you there.
4: All right. Fair enough. Um, and then so you guys seem to be uh, have have a few different approaches to development here. You've got, obviously, the 10-90%, uh, the, the on-balance sheet, and now the, the with the Carson development at 51-49%.
0: How do you guys kind
4: of think about the approach for each development and, and what's sort of the preferred strategy going forward? Yeah,
2: hey, Lauren. Um it- I think we start with looking at the asset, and that that tends to dictate our course of action and and I guess more particularly tends to dictate the interest of our capital partners in a particular project. So some of those variables start with size. So the smaller deals tend to be a little bit more frictional in terms of trying to chop up that investment across uh, a number of different partners who, who need some sort of critical mass to spend time on. And then the other piece really relates to just the, the attributes of the project in terms of complexity, timeline to being able to uh, deliver a building if there's a longer entitlement timeline or we, we need to sit and wait to be able to put the asset into production. Even if we have some current income, that, that tends to just be viewed differently by different, invest, different third-party investors. So that, that high level is, is what starts the conversations about what we may end up looking to invest more of our balance sheet in. Um, And we've mentioned this over the years, and I think our our intention is to continue to do this. And we tried to be pretty clear about the disclosures to to make it clear which projects had which type of capitalization. But our intention as we scale is to increase our exposure, a balance sheet exposure to these types of investments. And we think there's opportunities to do that, and most of them involve really compelling projects that tend to be a little smaller, tend to be a little more infill, but have a really interesting long-term growth profile. And that tends to be that that's what you see from our latest activity. And I expect that to be the trend going forward.
4: Okay, Uh, and then maybe just last one for me, Um, we saw, I think, uh, yesterday, artists announced they're going to put up their port uh, industrial portfolio. And I know uh, they've got a lot of Minnesota and and some other markets you guys uh, are in or are looking to grow in Uh, any uh, any interest in that or, or, or not so much.
2: The the idea of them selling industrial in the U.S. is not a new concept, and so we've seen and looked at that um, before. I think probably the new piece of information was would they separate out the industrial, which a lot of people thought was the more compelling part of the puzzle, and now they're saying they're going to? I suppose we'll dust it off and take a look at it, but but at this point we haven't spent a lot of time on
4: it. Fair enough. Um, Okay, great. Thanks. I'll turn it back.
1: Next question comes from Himanshu Gupta, with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
5: Thank you and good morning. Uh, so, right. just on all the right. uh, private capital fee guidance, it was increased to ten to fourteen million dollar. Uh, the difference uh, versus the previous guidance uh, is that all Bayon on transaction, or is there any other project as well?
3: No, it's really a combination, both of the. Um, Obviously, clarity at this point on the size of the Bayonne transaction, but also clarity on the deployment timelines on the rest of the projects in our portfolio, that we've got more clarity as to when those are going to hit, and we were able to more confidently say that the number is going to be higher than we thought initially.
5: Okay. And Jed, how should we think about, you know, in terms of the first half and the second half, uh, it's a pretty chunky amount at the 14 million, any guidance there from modeling perspective?
3: Yeah, and so, I mean, the, the promote on, on Bayonne is going to be a pretty, funky, a pretty chunky number. Uh, so, obviously, it's going to be weighted toward the first quarter of the year, with
5: um,
3: the rest of the year really depending on the, the actual deployment timelines on some of the development
5: projects. Got it. Okay. Uh, and then just focusing on the Bayonne property, uh, I think it was acquired for four cap rate. Uh, what was the development yield on that property?
3: I mean, our, what was the development, what?
5: Uh, yield on that property. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, get a sense of what was the upside on that property or what was the size of the promote on that property.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll have full details around all that when we release our Q1 results. But um, but I'd say this, um, you know, the, the nice thing about the New Jersey market is – from the time we started working on that project to now the rents have grown significantly in that market. And then as you know, come on, Shu, we ended up with Amazon in one of the buildings and Annixter in another and, and, and both signed, you know, eight to 10 year leases and have 3% bumps. And so that, that ended up, I, uh, I, I think when you see the numbers on that, you'll agree that it was a home run.
5: Sure, no, absolutely. That was a very good transaction for the REIT, uh, totally agree with that uh and then you know uh after bayon i'm just looking at the three other projects which are under lease up i think that's inland empire chicago and i think eagle uh will the REIT also consider to acquire those properties once the uh, once they are fully stabilized yeah yeah i think all the,
4: those
2: those will will we'll consider all of those I may mean, as we Continue to emphasize. We don't, there's not a put there, so I think we'll we'll look at them individually, and a lot of the variables there depend on what the nature of the tenancy and lease term and other factors are. Um, but that they'll we'll certainly consider and and have a right of first opportunity to acquire all of those assets. So that they're uh, that's a I guess a, a TBD. Got
5: it. And I assume you know you mentioned about that 82 million dollar of the. Uh, you know, the liquidity coming from capital recycling, some of that proceeds will be funneled into acquiring some of these developed properties.
3: Yeah, the the initial view on the the liquidity that's generated through those initiatives will be to pay down debt, and then we'll be able to then draw back as we acquire additional properties, yes.
5: Got it, okay. Uh, And maybe just last question on the development front. Uh, I'm looking at the Fontana, California land site. Uh, just to clarify, it will be developed 100% on the Reed balance sheet and not with a joint venture. And uh, is that an existing storage facility which will be redeveloped into an industrial facility? Just to clarify that.
4: Yeah, that's a
2: yes and yes. So yes. that's
5: right. Okay, okay, that's great. And maybe just last question is on the lease expiries, uh, 2021. Uh, I think not much left now. I think Matt, you mentioned it's. 1.9 million square feet. Uh, any any discussion in that regard, any thoughts there?
2: Yeah, and, and it's really, I, you know, the, the numbers are a little misleading in the sense that based on the Fontana project that you just mentioned, we've picked up some leases which are by design and pursuant to our development plan intending to roll in 2021, so that inflates the numbers. So really, I guess if I'm bridging from last quarter Or the end of the year, we were at six and a half percent. If you take away those Fontana leases, which are short-term storage leases, we're really under five percent. And I and based on what we have in process, we feel like by the end of the quarter, by the end of this quarter, we should be down to closer to two and a half percent. So about half of that um, that is outstanding currently, we expect to be taken care of within the next few weeks. Uh, So that that's kind of where we are status-wise.
5: Got it. And I guess uh, 2020 is – 2022 is still far out. Uh, Are you looking or starting to take a look at those renewals as well? Uh, It's a pretty chunky or fair bit of leases coming due next year.
2: It it is early. There have been some very preliminary discussions uh, and and some uh, exchanges with some of the, the larger leases there, but we're not trading paper, and I would describe all of those discussions as very early phase.
5: Got it. Okay. Thank you, guys. I'll I'll turn it back. Thank you. The
1: next question comes from Mike Markides with Jardins. Please go ahead.
6: There. Um, Quick question on my end. Just thinking about all the development activities that you're doing, I'd have to go back and see. but you haven't really had a a large amount of your own balance sheet, whether it's the 10% interest or a 51% interest, kind of active and, and, and deployed uh, in process at any one given point in time. So as this year progresses and things build up, so where do you see the stabilized amount of capital at your interest uh, uh, rising to in terms of um, capital? That's, and, and I realize that some of that be funded through construction line, lines and everything, but um, just the, the gross figure.
3: Yeah, Mike, we, uh, we're really focused on trying to grow that exposure, as Matt said earlier. And so we, we don't have a, a firm number where it says, hey, we want to be at, you know, 5% or 10%. I think we see better growth opportunities right now in development in some of those markets than we do in uh, buying stabilized in those markets. And so that's how we will get into some of these high barrier markets like Southern California where both the deals you talked about uh, are located. And so I don't think it's, it's more on an asset-by-asset asset, uh, view. We look at it and say, hey, this is a great opportunity to get into a market at an attractive yield, once we build it to uh, to what we could buy it at today, and we'll continue to make that evaluation. And to the extent the markets uh, move, we'll we'll continue to evolve our thinking. Uh, and I'd and I'd add on
2: a little bit to that. I'd say number one, we don't we don't think we're going to stabilize the development pipeline this year, we still think we're in the ramp-up phase, and although we've got a significant amount of activity going coast-to-coast and and 6 million feet, we've still got capacity in our team and and capacity in our balance sheet to fund our portion, and so, boy, I hope that we continue to add projects as we stabilize and swallow up projects that are completed, and so I I still very much consider this the ramp-up phase of this business, and I think the capability of our team to develop exceeds what you see on the page in our deck today.
6: Okay, that's great. And um, just given what you're seeing in terms of the better opportunities in the development side, I mean, I get the return aspect, but how does that make you feel about some of the other properties that you own in your portfolio? Does it make you nervous about supply? Do you think maybe it's um, obviously your capital recycling, but um, is, it, is, it, is it attractive still? I guess it's a two part question. A, is it, are you guys priced out of the market in terms of being able to acquire stabilized assets today? And B, just given the amount of development, does it make you a little bit nervous and a little bit more, uh, I guess, motivated to uh, call the portfolio on the other side.
2: Yeah, I'd say no, we're not priced out of the market, but um, but obviously, as you know, we're pretty we're pretty militant about basis and the assets. And so as as the market continues to heat up, and you put a market cap rate on a market rent, a lot of times you get well in excess of replacement cost, and that's what makes us nervous because basis haunts you forever. Um, but there's certainly opportunities like, you know, I mean last year was our biggest acquisition year in company history, right? We bought close to 10 million square feet and and most of that, if not all of that was off market. So where we see an edge or an opportunity or a disconnect or an opportunity to buy at a a favorable basis relative to replacement cost, I think we can lean in there and I don't think we're priced out of those markets. Um, So, and then the second part of your question is new supply. I mean, look, 2020 um, was a record year in the industrial market in the U.S. for absorption. We we absorbed almost 270 million square feet last year, so all-time record, and, and, and we also set a record for the amount of leasing done in the U.S. industrial market. We signed 650 million square feet as an industry of new leasing, and so the, the market's strong, and I think most people think that continues at least in 21 and 22, given the macro, and we're only adding... 250 million to 300 million square feet a year. Last year it was 264 million feet. So that those those dynamics are in balance. Um, but having said that, are there certain markets where we wouldn't buy property because of supply concerns? Yeah, there probably are. Um, But but that might relate to a specific size and a specific sub-market, not a red X on a market in general. And so that's the same way we look at our development business. We we might not be building a million square footer in a market, but we might be building a 250 in an infill location. And so it's it's a rifle shot more than just a broad
6: characterization, I think. Okay, that's fair. And then uh, last one for me before I turn it back. Um, Just on the Bayonne transaction, I think uh, the gross acquisition cost would have been around 97 million. For your 97, or sorry, for your 90 percent, um, and then I guess you had talked about um, assuming 36 million dollars of debt. So is that a, is that at the 90 percent interest? So Ie, the, you gross that up to be around like, let's call it 40 million. Will be question one, and then question two. Um, presumably that asset's under leverage, So is the plan to take that out uh, with a permanent secured product, or will it, you just add that to your ongoing pool and increase your facility? Capacity. Yeah.
3: So the, on the first question, the 36 is that was the amount outstanding at the time we acquired it. That the full loan amount. It was not adjusted for the 90%. And uh, in terms of our our financing of it longer term, I think we we acquired it with the loan in place, knowing that we had some term to it. We will, and we didn't need the liquidity immediately. As we look at our various options, we'll determine what we want to do with it. But it's an option for both the uh, both the cases that you looked at. We could put permanent financing on it, or we could. Uh,
6: added to our line. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Thanks very much, and uh, congrats on a solid year. Thank you.
1: Next question comes from Matt Comac with National Bank. Please go ahead.
7: Um, mostly technical questions on my side uh, with regards to the. 10 to 14 million of uh, income you're generating. Uh, can you break that out or give us some sense as to what would be promote versus sort of management fees or, or recurring fees?
3: Sure. I, I'd say probably at the uh, at the low end of the range, it's probably close to 75% promote. At the high end, it's probably closer to about
7: 50%. Okay. Um, and then I guess as we think of G&A in the context of that, Ten to fourteen million. Uh, What would be a good figure for for twenty twenty one in terms of total G and A?
3: So I'd say for uh, excluding the promote expense and excluding sort of fair value adjustments on um, on stock based comp, we'd be you know we're probably roughly three and a half million a quarter uh, on average. And the uh, the promote expense, which I think is what you were starting with. That it'll continue to be. I mean, what we've what we've always shown is that it's probably a pro, it'll be approximately 60 percent, or excuse me, 40 percent of the of the promote, and it will show up. We'll try and call that out separately so everybody can see that um, going forward.
7: Okay, no, that's perfect. Uh, and then on straight line rent, I think this this quarter, with, in, including straight line rent and free rent, was a, a little bit more of a normal one, although. It looks like a fairly low number on a net basis, which aided AFFO. Um, Is is this quarter a a normal quarter, or how should we think about it uh, in terms of uh, future straight-line rent versus free rent?
3: Yeah, this this was a uh, closer quarter to normal. There was one lease termination fee that we received, which helped push the number even more favorable than it had been. So whereas in Q3 we had sort of an outsized free rent number this quarter, the free rent number was more normalized uh, in the – I think what I've said previously is sort of two to four hundred thousand is a good number in that range, and um, and then in addition we picked up a little bit of extra benefit from this lease termination fee that we got.
7: And how how big was that? Just uh, I may have missed it.
3: The net impact on AFFO was about uh, between three hundred fifty and four hundred thousand.
7: Okay. Um, with regards to lease. Uh, renewal spreads I know these bounce around and it wasn't actually that much square footage that you guys did in the quarter itself and it looks like uh, leasing done subsequent to the quarter was in the 10 to 15 percent range but as as we look forward uh, does the sort of 10 to 15 percent increases on cash uh, spreads it still seem like market or, or has it expanded from there?
5: Uh,
2: I it, mean, it, it, it's, it's certainly market in certain markets. I, I mean, a lot of that is very asset and market dependent. So it, I think it still blends to something that's probably closer to our annual experience in 2020, where you're in the kind of high single digits on an, on an average cash basis and, you know, in the, into the teens on a straight line basis. And okay. some of that for us is just affected by opportunities where, I mean, if you look at, you know, for example, our Q4 activity, the numbers were a little skewed, but what's not really reflected in the spreads, well, it is, I guess it is in the, in the straight line number, is we had a kind of a unique cohort of renewals there where every, you know, any lease in that uh, chunk that was in excess of 100,000 square feet, they were all 10-year deals. So just a, a push for term, which in, in some cases means we're a little softer on the spread side um, in favor of adding the value and increasing term. So that's then, an effect, and then some of these, you know, there's still a, a a handful of fixed rate options where essentially we don't have the opportunity to negotiate with a tenant or reset to market. You know, the plus side being, obviously, we don't have the, the costs and capital infusion that might come from a, a market renewal. But the that that really looks a, a bit like the lease just continues on, where you you've got more of an annualized step, and you just keep going. So, but. When you blend for those factors, which are more asset or, or tenant specific, I still think we blend back to something that looks more like
7: 2020. Okay. And on the 10 year leases where you're putting in rent steps, still trying to push those as, as high as you can get, or are you getting north of 3% in some cases, blending to 2.5? Or, or yeah, it's written. We're
2: not, I mean, I, again, the hottest markets, you're seeing people push in excess of 3. I still think our experience lives more in the 2.5 to 3 range three for tighter markets and newer product and maybe closer to the mid twos uh, in other, uh, other markets.
7: Okay. Makes sense. Uh, And last one for me, I I didn't see any incremental shares issued during uh, Q4, but were you guys able to take advantage of or would you have wanted to take advantage of some of the share price move in terms of executing on your ATM? And also, as you look to do more development, is the ATM kind of a good way of providing uh, the small type of funding that you would need for some of the equity positions in these uh, developments?
2: Absolutely, it's a good tool for that going forward. I, I, I guess back to your first question, we still haven't used it yet. We, you know, we put a plan in motion um, for the year where we were focused on capital recycling and using some of that recycled capital to fund our development efforts. And so we we didn't need to use the ATM or or hit the bought deal market. But you know, if we do at some point in the forward, future, it would be because we had a compelling use for those dollars.
7: Okay, fair enough. Thanks, guys.
1: The next question comes from Joanne Chen with VMO. Please go ahead.
8: Hi, good morning, guys. Uh, Maybe just going back um, on the supply and demand uh, questions, you you talked to some markets where there's a little bit more of an imbalance. Could you point to uh, which markets you're seeing uh, a little bit of that imbalance?
9: Yeah, and and, and again, I think
2: that uh, I guess what my comment was meant to say is that there aren't many markets in the US where we wouldn't consider building, period. Um, But there are certain sub-markets and certain sizes where you might be the fifth person building a 750,000-square-foot building, and say, by the port in Houston or, or one of those markets. And so you may focus, like we did in Houston, away from the port where there's a lot of supply or away from that north side where there's a lot of supply and find a location like Katy, Texas, where we're building, where you've got less competition. And so... You know, the, the markets that have historically been pointed to, that, or at least recently, um, have been some of the Texas submarkets and sizes, um, some, of the, uh, some of the Lehigh Valley for the big bombers of north of a million square feet. And so there are certainly spots where you wouldn't want to be the fifth or the sixth or seventh person putting up a similar size building. But we think in all the markets, if you look hard enough, you can find opportunities.
8: Okay, that makes sense. And in terms of, I guess, the markets now that you guys are focused on, could you point to any specific ones where you're seeing uh, the best opportunities right now?
2: Well, I mean, look, look, let's just talk about some of the ones that we've got going right now, right? I mean, the Phoenix market is benefiting because there's a lot of inflow from Phoenix, from some of the Southern California markets, because you've got a uh, better labor story, you've got cheaper land, you've got less regulatory environment. And so Phoenix has got the lowest vacancy rate that it's had in 15 years, and, and CBRE is projecting Phoenix to see the highest rental growth in the U.S. over the next five years. They're saying it's going to grow 37% um, or, you know, close to 7% annually. So that's got a pretty good macro story to it. Fontana, where we're doing that project in the Inland Empire West, um, that's one of the top industrial markets in the U.S., and and they've, they've got vacancy there of 1.6%, and they've seen – You know, rents in Q4 alone went up 6.7%. So that's a great story there. And in New Jersey, where we've got a couple of different projects going, you got vacancy below 3% over the entire state, and rents have grown 20% over just the last three years. And so, and and then, of course, Carson, you know, probably one of the, the best locations in the country right now in that South Bay market of L.A., uh, that 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 market is one point two percent vacant, but the Carson submarket itself or the Carson municipality itself less than a half a percent vacant and and in that whole market there's only seven hundred thousand square feet under construction and it 's two hundred plus million square foot market so like i said there 's pockets of opportunity and and now that we 've got sourcing offices on both coasts we 're really starting to lean in on some of those infill markets that long term are going to be red hot for
8: sure. Um, that's was great to hear. Um, and I guess maybe switching gears on the other side, then going back to the capital recycling, um, obviously, that's a couple of things in the works. But in terms of, I guess, uh, the overall size for 2021, can you kind of guide as to uh, how much do you think you guys can, um, can actually um, recycle through for the year?
3: So, uh, like we said, we think we'll generate liquidity of about 80, uh, $82 million through some transactions that are already in process. That really relates to probably 100 to $200 million of assets being recycled. And so that's really the net after we've paid down debt and taken care of other issues, what we think we generate in terms of our liquidity. I think we're still comfortable. It's consistent with what we've said toward the end of last year. And I think we're still comfortable with that number in that $100 to $200 million. range.
8: Okay. Uh, that's helpful. Um, okay. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. I'll turn it back.
3: Thank you.
1: Next question comes from Brad Stargis with Raymond James.
9: Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Hey, um, Brad. Um, just, just to go back to the, the 22 expires for a second. I just wanted to clarify or if you could give a little bit more color in terms of the more notable expires that you have rolling for 22 and, and when would they hit during the year?
2: Sure. The, the, the 22 expirations are, are spread fairly evenly throughout the year, um, but the, I, there are a couple that are, are bigger expirations of about 500. There's a couple of 500,000 square foot of spaces that are rolling in Q1. So that's really, in, in terms of the discussions that I alluded to earlier, those are really the two that are in the, in the preliminary stage of discussions. Just given their size, uh, we would expect to start those conversations earlier than some of the small spaces. So those, and those, are two, uh, those are two Houston projects that we picked up in connection with the PIRATE
9: acquisition. Got it. And, and in terms of where you are with discussions and in terms of what's left to do in 21 or early 22, uh, anything that stands out that might not be renewed at this stage?
2: No, I, I don't think we – I mean, I, I think the expected to vacate list is still relatively small at this point based on the visibility we have into those individual situations so i it's more about focusing on the individual negotiations term, you know whether we whether there's a fixed rate option involved, whether we can scrap that and and push for something different or invest some capital. so those are the variables that are still moving around, which is causing us to not have a have the ability to guide very specifically at this point. it's just
9: too early okay and uh, maybe my last question, just as inflation expectations start to pick up, any thoughts on how uh, replacement costs in general could trend, and how that might translate into market rent growth, given the demand okay. you highlighted
2: yeah i mean we 're certainly seeing um, construction pricing increases and and specifically one of the things that people are talking about in our industry right now is steel, which has gone up pretty dramatically, and so you know, not only has has the word gotten out um, that you know industrials hot to a lot of the landowners, which has driven the price of land up, in the actual hard cost of the vertical construction component, we are definitely seeing construction price increases. The good news is, as as I'm sure you know, I mean the rents overall for the market last year grew eight percent, and so some of that is is compensated by higher rents, but. To the extent these construction costs continue to increase, I mean, you're going to have to be able to charge higher rents in order to make your spreads. I mean, that's yeah.
9: – I, I think you're right on. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. I'll turn it back.
1: You bet. The next call – the next question comes from Pammy Burr with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
3: Thanks, and uh, good morning. Um You've got good, good liquidity, um, more capital coming in from, uh, I guess, some of the capital recycling that's uh, coming this quarter. I'm just curious how you're feeling about, you know, the balance sheet and, and leverage, and if you if you can maybe remind us where you want to get leverage to and over what time frame. So what we've generally talked about, PAMI, is that we'd like to run the, the business somewhere in the 40s, and right now we're, as of year-end, we were at 47%. You know, with the acquisitions we've recently take, we've recently uh, brought on, we're up a little higher than that right now, but that's part of what uh, is in plan on the capital recycling side to, to bring that back in line. I think we're still comfortable being in the 40s. I think we obviously think it's better in the short term to try and find a way to, to move it down, and that's part of the plan to recycle capital. That's so that we can access that capital to put into some of the development initiatives and other things we're doing. Uh, longer term, we still would like to get to the point where we're an investment grade bond issuer. And uh, so we're working toward that process. There's no definitive timeline on that at this point. And so but it's something that we're trying to make progress on it, you know, you know, quarter over quarter. Got it. Um, just really one last one for me. I mean, a lot of the, the focus is on the development pipeline and maybe bringing <clears throat> more on balance sheet, but also you've got, um, you know, the, the JV pipeline with your partners. It seems to me that uh, you know acquisitions, and just given how competitive it, it is out there, is it fair to say that you know going forward more capital is going to be directed toward the development pipeline, or do you think you can continue to acquire um, you know assets outside of uh, the jV pipeline
2: I, I I'd say our expectation is we're going to do both I mean clearly the focus in the in, in the near term is on the development pipeline and getting that ramped up and really hitting on all cylinders, but to the extent um, there is product. Hitting our desk either on or off market, we're looking and underwriting all of that continually. It's just you got to look harder to find compelling opportunities in a frothy market than you do in a, in a down market. And so we're, we're trying to maintain discipline on the acquiring side. It, again, as I said earlier, it was our biggest year ever last year, and we've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline. And, and, you know, the U.S. market is a lot more liquid, and, and there's a lot more available than there is in the Canadian market. So we benefit from a lot of deal flow. It just becomes a pricing exercise. And, uh, and when we can find or unearth opportunity or make sense of acquisitions, we'll do them. And, and when we can't, um, we're, we're blessed to have the development platform that we can lean in and create value for the unit holders.
6: That's great.
3: Thanks, Scott. I will uh, I'll turn it back. Thanks, Bonnie.
1: This concludes our question and answer session. I will now like to turn the conference back over to Scott Fredrickson for any closing remarks.
2: Okay, thanks, Anita. Once again, thanks for your time and your interest in WPT Industrial Read. And as I like to say, if you have any questions, feel free to call any of us at any time. Thank you.
1: This conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.